Hello, hello, and welcome back to Art House Garage, the snob-free film podcast where we make art house, indie, classic, and foreign cinema accessible to the masses. I'm your host, Andrew Sweatman, and today we are continuing our series on the films of Terrence Malick with a look at his 2015 film, Night of Cups. Bethany Worden is back once again to help us break down the film. Don't go anywhere. Before we get into the show, don't forget Art House Garage has a Patreon. Sign up today for extended episodes, bonus episodes, video episodes, and ad-free episodes. All that, plus a discount on merch in the Art House Garage shop. Go to patreon.com slash arthousegarage today, or find a link in the show notes. Okay, back to the show. Welcome to Art House Garage. Over the last several weeks, we've been looking at the films of Terrence Malick, starting with his 1978 feature, Days of Heaven, and then his film, The New World, from 2005. After The New World, Malick directed the film, The Tree of Life, which was released in 2011 to enormous acclaim and is probably his best-known film. Following that success, his next three narrative features, released in the 2010s, were somewhat less appreciated. Those films are 2012's To the Wonder, 2015's Night of Cups, which we are discussing today, and 2017's Song to Song. Our Malik expert, Bethany Worden, is back again today, and she's going to tell us all about those three films before we go into some depth on Night of Cups. This was my first time watching Night of Cups, and as you'll hear in my discussion, I was very pleasantly surprised by it. The story follows an actor living in L.A. named Rick, played by Christian Bale, and the narrative is quite loose, looking at his experiences and relationships with a variety of romantic partners, as well as his familial relationships. Just before we get into it, I discovered an article I really enjoyed after we recorded this conversation. Basically, there's a scene in which Rick attends a Hollywood party, and there are a number of celebrities in attendance, uh, so giving sort of cameos in the background of this party. The article, which I've linked in the show notes, is a brief oral history of that scene, and interviews three comedians who were invited by Terrence Malick to be in the film. Thomas Lennon, who you may know from Reno 911, and Jolo Truglio, who I think is also in Reno 911, but also Brooklyn Nine-Nine and a number of other things. And then Nick Kroll, who's in a ton of hilarious things these days too. Uh, they talk about their experiences with Malick and with Emmanuel Lubezki, the cinematographer, and it's very funny. So I recommend checking that article out. I'll put that in the show notes. Also, this discussion is spoiler-free. There's actually not much at all to spoil about this movie, so listen ahead even if you've never seen it. All right, here is the trailer first, followed by my discussion with Bethany Worden about Terrence Malick's Knight of Cups. All those years, living the life of someone I didn't even know. Let me tell you about you. I want to make you rich. You see the palm trees? They tell you anything's possible. No one cares about reality anymore. <laughs> Different these days. What's going on with you? I can't remember a man I wanted to be. Just don't threaten me with leaving, okay? Just do what you want to do. 
You don't want love. You want a love experience. They are like flavors. Sometimes you want raspberry, then after a while you want some strawberry. You have love in you. I know it. Blind. I suppose it isn't there for me. Welcome back to the podcast once again, Bethany Worden. How are you today? Doing well. Fun to be here. Yeah. Always look forward to talking with you on here. Um, we're going to talk about the film Night of Cups, which I was just saying before we started recording, it's a kind of the first unknown quantity for me going into this series that we plan to watch. And so I'm really excited to talk about it. Um, definitely a just a brand new experience. But before we do... Uh, I was going to see if there's anything else you've been watching lately that you wanted to put on our radar. Um, I haven't been watching a whole lot the last week. I've had a lot of work events, but um, I did in my downtime watch Rosalind. Uh, Yeah, it's um, starring Caitlin Deaver. Um, It's on Hulu and it follows the story of Romeo and Juliet from the perspective of his ex, Rosalind. Uh, and it's a lot of fun. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was very much a callback to sort of the rom-coms of the early 2000s oh, cool. when I was in high school myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I really enjoyed it. It reminded me a little bit of Ever After. Nice. Okay. Reminded me a little bit of uh, A Knight's Tale. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sort of like anachronistic historical yeah, yeah, yeah. rom-com nice that sounds great i really love the movie ever after actually which is kind of a, a weird movie for me to love maybe but that's a movie i watched a lot as a kid and uh think about that movie a lot so that that's actually an, i heard of rosalind but i didn't know that was i i guess i kind of knew that was a vibe but i don't know the ever after connection makes it sound interesting so it's i love caitlin deaver for one thing uh i think i first saw her in book smart but she's been so good in, in everything that she's done and then uh it, the sort of and i knew it was sort of like shakespeare adjacent it almost sounds kind of like um what's that rosencrantz and gildenstern are dead kind of that kind of thing which i haven't yeah. read or, or seen but i know kind of the, the deal with it but like a more fun like rom-com version of that so yeah i think i'm gonna have to check that out and that sounds like a fun one that like my wife would enjoy because she doesn't mm-hmm. always want to watch you know terrence malick stuff or whatever <laughs> but <laughs> or uh, another horror film in october yeah, exactly yeah exactly <laughs> yes uh well cool thanks for bringing that up i i was going to bring up one thing and so there was recently some press screenings which little rock film critics don't get a lot of very often kind of into the year we get a few and um one thing that we saw was the film till which is about emmett till and his mother and uh you know, I wasn't sure what to expect going into it. And, and obviously I knew it was going to be very heavy, which of course it is. Um, but and I was like, how, how do you make this movie? And it's just not, you know, two hours of misery. And there's some things that I think that the filmmakers do that, that are, are wisely make it not that I kept thinking about the movie um, life is beautiful, which is about the Holocaust, which one of, I really like that film. And it's, you know, that film is almost a comedy. And I think that's how it's even like billed is this is a comedy. And what happens is we have this beautiful life and then the Holocaust comes. And so you get a little bit of that kind of a sense of getting to know Emmett Till 
before the horrific things that happened to him. Um, the the horrific things that happen to him do not happen on screen, which I think is a, a good choice as well by the filmmakers. Um, but then there's a court case and everything. So you, you kind of hear the details, but it's more about the impact that it had uh, obviously on the whole world, but like the community and um, his mother is actually the main character of the film. And, and, you know, her decision to, to have the open casket and all of that, all the things that we learned in our history classes, but depicted in a way that, uh, you know, you feel the emotional weight of it in a way that, you know, you might not from a textbook, which was kind of my ultimate feeling about this is it's pretty, um, I don't know, by the numbers, like generic is not what I would say, but it's, it doesn't do a whole lot that is unexpected, which is probably exactly what you need for a story like this, I think. But it seems like, you know, in history class, you read this thing and then you watch a movie sometimes in high school. This is like that movie that I think can, can fill that need. And, and that's an important thing, I think, for, for, you know, kids to understand these important historical things. So anyway, Till, I really liked it. Um, it is, yeah, again, it's very emotionally heavy and, and you know, go into it knowing that. But um, I, I do think it's, uh, I'm really glad this film exists and I think it's really well made. That is too. Check it out. Yeah. Well, I guess we can move on to Terrence Malick. So we are going to talk about Knight of Cups. Um, so this film, as we kind of have looked through his filmography, um, and I kept saying like this film gets lumped in with these others. Maybe it doesn't really get lumped in with them. Maybe I just do that. But <laughs> I think for me, it's like, oh, these are the films in the 2010s that um, are not as well reviewed is basically the situation that the the category I put them in, in my head, at least. Um, And so I, in that spirit, we've kind of talked about every film, even if the ones we haven't watched in the series, I thought we might briefly talk about those other two that are from the 2010s uh, narrative films that he's made. The first of which is 2012's to the wonder. Um, So yeah, as a, you know, the resident Malik expert, tell us about to the wonder who's in it and what's it about and, and how does it compare to his others for you, just, you know, a minute or two. Yeah. Well, I think it's also really important to note that these three films came after Tree of Life, which Mm -hmm. obviously kind of was like a Terrence Malick renaissance. You know, a lot of people were Mm -hmm. introduced to Malick through Tree of Life. And, you know, obviously that film got a lot of attention and still gets a lot of attention very deservedly. And so I think that for a lot of um, film watchers, you know, sort of like coming off of Tree of Life to these other films was like a little maybe, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like it, w- it was maybe a rough transition. Yeah, some a little people, jarring like, or something. Yeah. A little jarring, yeah. I think Tree of Life is um, just so beautifully and technically excellent. And, you know, as we've discussed, like a really, really great film. And then I think these next three films... Um, a little bit more experimental and Mm. for me i really see malik playing Mm. um in them and trying out different storytelling methods and different cinematography styles and all of this and i really enjoy them um but i understand why other people don't uh to the wonder i love dearly it is a very oddly constructed film (laughs) you're never quite sure what the characters are doing or what they're up to But the basic premise of the plot is um, an American man um, is in France, falls in love with a single mother, uh, marries her, and they move back to his hometown in Oklahoma. And it's sort of about 
their the beginnings of their relationship and then their eventual disintegration of their relationship. Mm. Um, and there is, you know, a lot of sort of Malick-esque tropes, like lots of voiceover, lots of moving camera, really beautiful scenery. Um, but I think there's also some like sort of interesting characters in this one. Um, the two main leads are really interesting, sort of like this class of cult clash of cultures and clash of expectations is really sort of present um when he moves back home the the main character reconnects with like a childhood sweetheart Mm. um she's a kind of interesting character um and then also in this small town there is a priest um played by javier bardem um Mm. who's going through a crisis of faith and you sort of like see his crisis of faith juxtaposed with the crisis of this relationship um it's i think it doesn't get its due i think it was very poorly marketed um they kind of tried to like set it up like a rom-com it is not a (laughs) rom-com it's about the end of a relationship (laughs) it's very sad (laughs) um but also very poignant and just like beautifully displayed um it it really feels like a poem it feels like heartache Mm. um and i've watched it probably a dozen times and every time I love it. Wow. Okay. I didn't know half of that. I, I, I knew that it had been Affleck in it. I kind of knew that relationship construction that they'd moved back from Paris and all that, but that's fascinating. Like all the Javier, Javier Bardem character stuff is news to me. And that sounds very compelling to me. So I'm definitely going to check this out. I think one thing that uh, I've always just kind of thought about it is like, okay, it's kind of one of these, you know, lesser ones. And, I'm not the hugest Ben Affleck fan. I, I think that he, he's had some interesting, you know, ups and downs in his career. And that's a, for, there was a time when like his presence in a movie, I was like, yeah, I don't know. I think now I've come around and I really appreciate him in a lot of things. So yeah, I definitely got to watch that soon. Um, that's very interesting. And yeah, we're, we'll talk more about Knight of Cups, but the parallels, I'm hearing some maybe parallels there. So that'll, that's interesting. Uh, so, but first, before we do that, so then it was, he did that one and then he, uh, he actually did the IMAX thing, which we mentioned a couple episodes back, Voyage of Time, which I did a little research about that. And it's like, so it's like a sort of nature documentary style thing, but it, you know, shows the beginning of the universe akin to what we saw in Tree of Life, I think it sounds like. Um, but apparently there's like a 45 minute cut of that. And then there's also like a 90 minute cut of that. I didn't know that until today I was researching but the 45 minute one is on movie you can watch it and they've got it streaming in 4k it's like a, a like movie release like they've just dist- or like the, the distributor paid to have it so that's pretty cool I'm gonna have to check that out soon um and that was 2016 I believe and then wait a minute what year and this was sorry I'm thinking of Knight of Cups what was actually first it's 2015 I believe and then Voyage of Time and then in 20 uh what year was song to song 2017 yes i think 2017 yeah in 2017 song to song which another star-studded cast um but yeah tell us a little bit about that one if you if you would um i will admit song to song is probably my least favorite malik film interesting um it's set in austin which is as we talked about in the first episode Mm. malik's current hometown um it sort of has a little bit of background of south by southwest um Mm. it's definitely in the music scene in austin it follows a couple struggling musicians and a music producer and a waitress that the music producer becomes interested in and i 
There are some, as always in Malik films, some real poignant scenes, but I definitely got lost in sort of like what mm. the narrative arc of the film is supposed to be. It's like mm. obviously about like dreams and disillusionment and hopes and, you know, who are you hoping with and on? Um, mm. But it, it just never like fully came together for me. I've only seen it once. Um, maybe if I gave it another watch, I'd feel differently, but yeah, I I think that one kind of lost its way. Interesting. All right. Well, yeah, I still want to see it at some point. It's got, again, it's like Rooney Mara's in there and Ryan Gosling, some really big names. So that's interesting. And we're going to talk about Knight of Cups. A lot of big names in this one too, which is an interesting thing about it. So let's get into Knight of Cups. So we've kind of talked about this a little bit, but like not one of his better reviewed films. Um, I guess specifically about this one, why do you think that is? And And are you, how are you, why are you a defender of this? And I, I think I'm going to come out as a defender of this also, but yeah. <laughs> I I think that it just pushes even deeper into the experimentalism mm-hmm. that to the wonder, I mean, tree of life really started, but, but once again, sort of beyond the tree of life era, sort of like pushing deeper into just like playing mm-hmm. with yeah. sort of the limits of story and film. Um, I, like Knight of Cups because it feels really bold to me uh, what he's trying to do. Um, I think I've talked about before, I really love films where the filmmaker trusts their audience to like go with them somewhere. And this one is like a very deep trust in the audience. Um, And so I really enjoy it. Um, It's not easy to watch. I can understand why people don't like it. It can feel really disjointed. Um, I don't know how many different cameras and cinematography styles Mm. are used in this film. And so I think sometimes it can feel like a bunch of films smushed together. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just really appreciate sort of like the boldness of the filmmaking style. And uh, and we can get more into that in a minute. But but I just appreciate the the trust in the audience that Malik's displaying in this film. Yeah, I that's kind of my impression, too, I think, is is that, yeah, you can see why it's just it's pretty challenging it's so interesting watching from the new world as we talked about kind of developing the narration style more the editing style more um and then in tree of life like tree of life feels very it, it, i feel like i'm going back into that world in a way just because it's such the same kind of um yeah just the sound design the visual style the lubeski cinematography all of that feels so much the same and yet and so it sounds like to the wonders maybe in a similar vein visually and stylistically, but it also to the wonder and tree of life seem like they have a bit more of a concrete narrative than this does. Whereas mm-hmm. this it's, it's so I think a character even says the word fragments at one point. It's one of the narrations of fragments and memories or like pieces. It, it I'm getting too much of the style, which I want to get into later, but it almost pushes that to the forefront and the story secondary to where it's it's really just about this experience and and yeah we'll talk more about that in a minute but the story is so loose that i think that's probably a tough sell for a lot of people um and i think that can kind of also have the effect of keeping you a little bit at arm's length emotionally i think at least probably I, I can imagine for some viewers and that's a little bit the experience i had with it but i still did connect it at certain points that i really liked which we'll get into but um so i guess that and we kind of already answered this next question too with what we're talking about, but there may be something to add, but I'm just curious, first of all, how many times have you seen it? And then just 
is there anything else to say about how this compares to his other films or how does it stand out for you amongst his filmography? I've probably seen this one three or four times. Um, I went to a premiere screening of it when it first came out with some of the cast and crew. And that was really fun. And I think that helped like give it some context too. Mm -hmm. you know, seeing it in LA with the filmmakers when it's a story about filmmakers in LA. I think that I'm sure that adds to my enjoyment of it. Um, I also think it's really interesting that this film is almost entirely in an urban environment, aside from like Mm -hmm. a couple sort of day trips or something the character seems to take. Um, And that's not true of most of other Malik films. Um, Mm -hmm. There are sometimes like city or urban environments, but not for the entirety of the film like Mm -hmm. this one. I think Austin is another, the um, Austin-based film Song to Song is another um, sort of urban-based film. And To the Wonder, like a large part of it takes place in Paris, but then they go back to like the rural mm-hmm. sort of Malik-esque landscape. So I think the fact that this is set entirely in, you know, a metropolis is pretty interesting and unique about it. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. And I, I thought a little bit about that because with Tree of Life again, I feel like I always go back to that, but there are those really great shots of, I think like Dallas or wherever they are in sort of the adult lives of the children, but most of it is in that rural town uh, but yeah i definitely thought about some of those kind of urban shots as watching as, as i was watching through this yeah that's super interesting well uh, let's talk about the style a bit more um so i just generally what do you like about the style of this film are there um things that you think are similar or different to his other films that that you really connect with in this one I think I already mentioned, you know, that there's like a lot of different cameras used, like there's Mm -hmm. sort of um, traditional cinematography, there's some camcorder footage, I think there's some GoPro footage. Yeah, like little fisheye looking shots at certain times, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's really fun. Um, It's, I I can feel Malik and Lubieski like kind of playing together, like Mm -hmm. as a director, cinematographer, like relationship I think it it feels very present in this film and I think that's Mm. fun um there are some shots that just stick with me so deeply that I and Mm. sort of like um recurring images I come to and one of my favorites is um, I think it's about 30 minutes into the film when the character is going to this big star studied star studded party Mm -hmm. in Beverly Hills or somewhere and the way that we're introduced to the scene is we're underwater in a pool and we mm. see a dog chasing a ball. And yeah. like, that's how we're introduced to the scene. And then we come up out of the water, like into this party. And I don't know what it is. Like, that's just like that series of images is just like seared in my mind. And, you know, I think it ends up being like a great thematic element for the film. Just like this dog mm. futilely chasing this ball. Yeah. Yeah. It's like to be introduced to a party that way is I think, really unique yeah that's really cool yeah because they they're striving for this ball and can't get it and there's like three or four shots like that that's true yeah i guess to talk more about the cinematography it is it's so much always in motion that there's when you get a still shot it really stands out that's another thing i liked about it like we'll be like there's one moment where we're underwater and it's it looks like kind of dirty water and you kind of can't really tell what's going on and then it cuts to this wide shot of this dock and it's very still but the waves are going it's so peaceful suddenly and like that's a, a just a shocking kind of moment one thing about this too just about 
um, how it's, I don't know, a tough sell for people. I think generally speaking, when a film looks as beautiful as this does, I can give it more grace or something like I'm, I'm, I'm able to uh, give it the benefit of the doubt a bit more. Um, and so I think as I was watching through, I was like, okay, yeah, this is a little challenging, but like I'm in it just even just visually, it's so good. Hey, if you are a podcaster or you've ever thought about starting a podcast, listen up. Obviously, I love podcasting. I've been doing it since 2018, and now I can't imagine my life without this creative outlet. But as Rachel Sinat's character reminded us in the recent film, Bodies, 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 podcasting is hard. Not only do you have to do all the logistics of scheduling guests and developing the content of your shows, there's a whole lot of technical stuff you have to handle also. Recording, editing, making the audio sound good, making the video look good if you're doing video, it can be overwhelming. That's why I started using Zencaster. It's an amazing tool for recording audio and video remotely without sacrificing quality. It's really easy to set up a virtual recording room, invite guests, and then all you have to do is hit record and start chatting. I'll tell you what I love about it too is the ability to do footnotes as you record. So if my dog barks while I'm recording and I need to remember to go back and edit around it, all I have to do is type a short footnote, like dog, and then I've got a timestamped reminder. I don't have to listen back to the entire episode anymore to edit my podcast thanks to that feature. That is a huge time saver for me. On top of that, Zencaster does automatic post-productions for audio and video, so you literally press a button and it spits out a file that's mixed and ready to go, and it all happens right in your web browser. There's a bunch more features you can see on their website, and there's even a free version so you can test things out. And best of all, at least for me, if I ever have any questions or issues, their customer support chat is always right there to help me so I never feel like I'm on my own. Go to Zencaster.com pricing and use my code ARTHOUSE, that's A-R-T-H-O-U-S-E. You'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same easy experience as I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. There's so many shots of people like along with the movement, there's so many shots of people just kind of milling about <laughs> that it almost, I was like, why is it doing that so much? And I can see how that maybe is off putting to you over, over time, but it's like, even when he's having a meeting with his two agents, so he's an actor and it's like, they're not sitting at a table and they're just like, he's walking and the other guy's like five feet ahead of him, kind of talking over his shoulder. Like that's how almost all of this film happens. It's just like people walking in the rough vicinity of each other, sort of talking to each other. And we're hearing some narration and some just uh, like diegetic language. But over time, I was really, and this goes back to the idea of like fragments and time. It's like, I think this is more like his memories. Cause when you think about a memory of something, you don't necessarily think about what you said in that situation. You're here, you're, you're remembering the other people. Cause that's the other thing is like, he's silent for so much of it. Um, it's just the other people around him talking to him. And that's, that's how you remember things, I think. So I thought that was kind of a cool thing too. Um, let's see, I had something else about the, the, the style of it. Um, I was going to say yeah, about that sort of like pe- moving in and out of people. Mm-hmm. It really gives to me the feeling of a dance. Like, mm, yeah. I feel like all of the characters are always sort of like circling around each other. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of stillness in this yeah. film. And um, 
yeah, even to choose to like frame a meeting that way where people are sort of like walking to and from each other, like it yeah. has this, this sense of choreography that I think is fun. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, I think that too, it, it, it starts over time. You see it so much, it starts to feel unnatural, but then it's like, okay, yeah, I think that's where the memory thing came in. But yeah, it, it is, it feels, it feels very alive and kind of, there's like a rhythm to everything that I think is probably hard to pull off. And it's, that's so much Lubeski too. And you talked about how their partnership is clearly so, uh, so fruitful. Um, but yeah, there's certain shots in tree of life that are doing the same thing that I always think about. Like a lot of it's, you know, around there's a tree in their yard and there's nature and then, um, motherhood and childhood and all of that. But there's one shot in that film that I always think about and it's Jessica Chastain as the mother character. And it's kind of unexplained, but she's just floating in their front yard. I don't know if you probably remember that shot, but I think it has to do with like how this child views his mother and like she's this kind of otherworldly perfect being but that camera movement that that's like the shot i think of when i think about lubeski and and just in general and and specifically in that film but a lot of that kind of stuff happening here too um yeah wow so i guess let's talk about the film thematically uh what about the story of this we talked about how the story is a little bit sparse but I think there's some interesting stuff going on, but yeah, what do you connect with thematically about this film? I'm really drawn to stories that feel like fables or parables without Mm. being morality tales. Yeah. And I think that's hard to pull off because I think like the framing of a fable or parable, we just kind of like expect, okay, then we're going to get like the therefore Mm. ending. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, And this one like starts out with a voiceover of, like a fable um, and then picks up that, that story thread at a different part through the film, but we don't like end with a sort of, and therefore there's, mm-hmm. there's no mm-hmm. sort of like moral to this story. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does feel like this character is searching for that meaning mm-hmm. and like searching for the parable of his life. Um, and I am always drawn to stories like that where people are trying to figure out, who they are and why they're being here matters and um, you know, sort of what's their place. Uh, And so I think like following a character through that thought process and as they're searching for that is always something I'm really interested in. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that about it too. So I was going to bring up that it's like the Pearl the story of the Pearl, not the short story by whoever that short story is, but uh, Steinbeck. Uh, yeah, Steinbeck short story, but a different one. But yeah. So to recap it briefly, it's like a prince who's going to find a pearl and then he like, that's his quest. And then he is given a potion and forgets first of all, what he's do, trying to do and also who he is. I think that's such an interesting thing because, and then that kind of theme comes back a few times, like striving, like you said, with the dog trying to get the ball, striving after something. Um, but then also not sure what you're striving for which that there's sort of an ennui in that, that I found kind of relatable about, you know, what is the meaning of life? And that, that, which is certainly a Malik kind of a question. Um, there's also kind of a prodigal son feeling to it. Uh, Cause we have a, his father as one of the characters who has, uh, he says, you know, actually, first of all, we have Christian Bale's narr- narration at the beginning saying something like, I live so much of my life as someone else or not knowing who I was or something along those lines. Um, but then his father says, uh, he's a womanizer. He's uh, what's become of you. I think Kate Blanchett's character says the light's gone out of your eyes or something like that. It's, it's sort of this idea of a fallen character in a way that 
Um, and he's, it's also just as an aside, at least of the ones I've seen, it's the most sexual of Malick's films. Maybe that's true of all, like out of all of them, but, um, so that was an interesting aspect of this. I didn't necessarily expect, but that is a big part of like what his life is. And, you know, he's again, striving for something that, uh, trying to fill, um, a void maybe. Um, but again, as you said, the, the film doesn't give us an easy answer as to like, you know, how does, how do things get better? Um, but there is sort of a sense of growth, I think, at least I have a little, some thoughts about that as we get into a little more, um, but yeah, uh, one other thing that I'm curious about, like how much did you know about tarot before watching this? Cause that's an interesting kind of layer to this. I didn't know much, but I did a little digging after watching it that I can talk about, but yeah, what, what's your experience with, or just knowledge of that uh, aspect of it? Yeah, I'm not real big into tarot. Uh, so I actually had to like look that stuff up after I watched the film too. And I, I honestly still don't understand it. We really should have invited like a psychic or <laughs> yeah, someone right. onto this conversation because it's obviously, you know, structured around the tarot mm-hmm. and set up with different chapters with different tarot cards. Um, but that part, I have to admit, goes a little bit over my head. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. I did a little research that I can share here, but, but yet yeah, some, you know, I was as we've talked about before, raised as a good Christian evangelical boy. And so I knew tarot is something you stay away from, but (laughs) I, you know, mostly through films have, you know, gained a little bit more understanding of it, but uh, I did look at a few things. So yeah, as you mentioned, the film has these kind of chapter markers, all of which are the names of tarot cards. Also the, the title of course, Knight of Cups, that is the name of a a tarot card. He goes to see a tarot reader early in the film. Um, but as I just read, like just the Wikipedia pages for these different cards, there's a lot of just thematic echoes of things. So first of all, the Knight of Cups uh, represents change and new excitements. Um, I'm just going to skim through. Um, he is a person who is a bringer of ideas, opportunities, and offers. He is constantly bored and in constant need of stimulation, but also artistic and refined. So that absolutely sounds like it applies to the character that we are introduced to here uh with christian bale's character but then some of the other um it it almost seems like the the title cards definitely represent i think a lot of them represent people in his life but also some of the story beats um so we have the hanged man which seems to be about his brother who's played by wes bentley who is from arkansas by the way arkansas connection (laughs) um but the hanged man is sort of uh it's here that there's the list of adjectives that describe this person wisdom circumspection trials i think trials definitely seems to apply to this character who it seems that he's maybe spent some time uh dealing with homelessness or definitely he lives in a world where he's interacting with people who are experiencing homelessness um and we see him you know having outbursts of anger and going through some some challenging things it's not always clear exactly what that is but it's just again kind of the memory the fragments of what he remembers, what uh, our, our main character remembers, it seems like. Um, let's see, there's also Judgment, the Tower, the High Priestess, Death, and Freedom. Freedom is not a, for at least from the traditional deck, that's not like one of the, the main cards. I think that's, you know, again, just learning a little bit about tarot, they're different decks, and I think it is like a more modern one. Um, but I think the most interesting one, well, first of all, the High Priestess, uh, is sort of it's meant to be the female indwelling of the divine and that section of the film is when he meets um the australian woman who i'm blanking on her name meets her in a strip club but then they have a relationship and uh he goes deeper so he's had a lot of relationships that are 
seem like primarily sexual, but then it seems like with her relationship, things do go a bit deeper. Um, and, and he, I think grows from that. Um, but then most interestingly is death in this, I'm going to read directly this quote, um, according to Eden gray, uh, it is actually, it, it is uncommon that this card actually represents a physical death. Rather, it typically implies an end possibly of a relationship or interest, uh, and therefore an increased sense of self-awareness. And Gray interprets this as a change of thinking from an old way into a new way, which I think is really compelling as we look at the film, because I, yeah, if, if there is any, you know, character growth, it is internal. It seems like he's, yeah, maybe a bit more self-aware, a bit more, um, uh, an old way of thinking to a new way of thinking. And maybe that's why he's reflecting on his old marriage, his, his old relationships, his family. Um, yeah, there's, there's not an easy, oh, now this is different in his life, but maybe it's a new way of thinking, um, which also just resonated personally too, talking about ex-evangelical things and like going from an old way to a new way of thinking, um, that just reading that description of that card, like, oh my goodness, yes, yes for this movie, yes for my life. That's really interesting. Um, and then it ends with the freedom, uh, is the last one, which I think that seems like a natural progression maybe through to a new way of thinking and now something like a new sense of freedom. So I like that a lot. I think that's really cool. And I'm glad that I did even that much research to, to bring a little bit more context into it. Um, that's really interesting too, because it really um, also mirrors the hero's journey mm-hmm. sort of story archetypes. Um, you know, kind of like the death before rebirth is usually like the final mm-hmm. act of a film. Um, so it's really interesting that, essentially Malik used like tarot cards as like yeah. the place markers for the hero's journey. Yeah. I had almost wonder if he got a reading and like, these are the cards that were laid out and he's like, I want to make a movie out of this. <laughs> you know, um, I, I really like that a lot. And then um, oh, I had one other thing. I, I think one of the most compelling things too, is the section about his ex-wife, Kate Blanchett. Uh, I can't remember her character's name. I can look it up really quick, but um, uh, she's Nancy. She comes in since so they it seemed like they are kind of reunited or having they're talking but then there's a lot of flashback to you know when things went wrong and different things and this was the moment too where you know i didn't feel speaking about the film being a bit arm's length emotionally for me there were a few moments that there was an exception to that and this was one of them this, really this whole segment but especially the way it ended and so this goes back to the style as well because there's so much that is narration um, and because the camera's always moving, sometimes you're not sure, is this narration or are we hearing some dialogue that then we're going to cut and see Natalie Portman is saying this now? Because that happens a few times. Um, but the moment that kind of plays with that idea um, that I found really emotionally devastating is at the end of that section. I'm going to pull up the exact quote so I get it right. Ooh, where'd it go? It's her voice. And she says, you're still the love of my life. I'm thinking, is she saying this to him or is she not? And there's a long pause. And then she says, should I tell you that? And like that, oh, I was like, oh my God, that's so, that's such a good moment. And such a, just there's so much emotion in that and the way that's set up, which that's, it's those moments where you couldn't really do that in any other medium except film and the way the editing works with that is, is and, and you need the whole context of what you've already seen to have that experience. So I just love that so much. That was great. Um, yeah. So that I, I, I'm just generally, I think, there's a lot of observations on relationships and that's one of the things I liked most about this as well. Like we have Antonio Banderas's character. 
talking about women as different flavors. He says, you know, sometimes you get tired of vanilla, you want to try strawberry or whatever. And he's, it's interesting because they're also at that party sort of playing versions of themselves a little bit. It seems like, cause his character name is Tonio. Um, but then yeah, all the feelings that Rick has about his marriage and then her, her line at the end of that section, I thought was so good. Um, but yet again, we see him go through a number of relationships and you also get a sense of, you know, he's a little bit of a different person with these different people that he's um, connecting with throughout the film. And um, yeah, I, I think, and I, f- I feel like going back through, like I didn't come up with all this kind of structure to it until after watching it really. So I think I need to watch it a second time to see like, okay, was there something in that relationship with um, the Australian woman? I'm forgetting her name again. Uh, Isabel, I think it is. And that, that leads to some sort of growth, discernible growth that, that is something to latch onto, or is it, as you're saying, just kind of open and ambiguous in a way, but it does, or is there something in there that prompts him to do all this self-reflection or something like that? Um, but yeah, I really like all of that, the relationship, relationshipy stuff about this movie a lot. I think that's a really interesting question because a question that I have for this film is, how many other ways could it be edited and still like Mm. end up with the same story? Because it is like so fragmented. Like does the order that we experience those fragments Mm -hmm. add something to the story or not? Like I kind of go back and forth. Um, I mean, even like within those chapters, he's still like pulling fragments from other chapters, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which I, which I understand is why it's a difficult film and some people don't like that. Um, there's like no sense of continuity whatsoever. <laughs> like he's like in Joshua Tree and then back in LA and then in mm-hmm. St. Louis and then back in LA. <laughs> like it's, yeah. I get like what, why that's frustrating, but I I do think it's I do think it's interesting that you're suggesting there's more of a structure there than maybe I've seen. Um, I'm not saying that's definitely true. I'm I'm just wondering really more than anything uh, because I I do feel like I had a sense that he was somehow changed, but I don't think I can put that into words. <laughs> Maybe a second watch would help me explain it a bit more. But, and, and, and I think, I think both can be true because I think what you're saying is like, there's not a concrete way to put it. And sometimes that's the way it is when you're like, okay, I, I feel like my mindset about the world has shifted slightly and I can't really explain why, you know, that sort of thing. I think, you know, speaking about faith things again, since sort of that deconstruction process, I think that's something that happens all the time to me now is like, I have just like a, a small realization about something that then seems to have bigger implications. And it's like, it happens maybe gradually. And I suddenly look back, I'm like, oh yeah, I didn't have this frame of mind a month ago or whatever. And, and that feels new and, and like growth. So I don't know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Maybe kind of captures that a little bit. Yeah. I think I remember this film the way that I remember my memories, which Mm. is there are certain shots and scenes that are like really bright and like stick with me. Mm. And then I don't really always remember where they were. Like I have no Mm -hmm. memory of the chronology of this film, which is similar to how my own memory works. Mm -hmm. And I don't know once again, how intentional that is. Um, But I think it is interesting that like, if someone asked, like, was this scene before that scene in that film? I don't know that I could tell you. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't either. And I watched it yesterday. And I, um, I think it's, yeah, that, that feels like a choice. Because, yeah, you're right. It's, it, it's interesting, too, as you're going through the different segments, 
the new narrators narration narrators come in and that almost signals that something's about to change. So like, we'll hear someone else's voice. I was like, okay, I think that's Natalie Portman's voice. Cause I know she's coming at some point in this film again, like with John Rolfe and new world. It's like, when is this character going to show up? This actor going to show up that I know is here. She comes in kind of right at the end. Um, and it's like, then we cut to the title card. That's going to kind of be this section of the film. Um, but yeah. And we should probably talk about that segment of the film a little bit too, because it is, it feels significant too. Um, and again, I'm trying to remember the order. Does the Natalie Portman stuff happen before uh, the Isabel stuff? I can't remember uh, at this moment. I think Isabel is before Natalie. I'm pretty sure. I think that's right too. So maybe it's the Natalie Portman segment that if, if there's, you know, a, something that kind of changes his life a bit, maybe that's the the thing because what happens in that segment is they have they're having an affair she's married to someone else and um and i think it's a little bit ambiguous or maybe i just misunderstood but she becomes pregnant and she's not sure if it's her husband's or christian bale's baby um and did she terminate the pregnancy is that your understanding okay that's I, my I thought... understanding it's never like explicitly stated it's a little bit like that hemingway short story where they're mm-hmm, mm-hmm. talking about something that happened and you I think it's a pregnancy termination, mm-hmm. but it's, it's a little unclear. Yeah. Yeah. Just really from her performance more than anything, that was what I felt um, happened, but yeah, that, that's an interesting segment of it. Um, and it, I think that section really shows, it, it feels like he is connecting in a way again, that he hasn't in a while with maybe other, other women. And then like, there's such a feeling of passion at the beginning of it. And then it cuts to like, just devastating sadness in a way that was a emotional, a kind of a little emotional roller coaster in that section that I, in a, in a good way. Um, but yeah. And I think too, I'm just kind of putting this together. There are some shots that we see early in the film of that beach where they have like a date sort of, but I don't think he's actually there. Like, I think maybe it was like a foreshadowing of what was to come. So again, about the way this film is so fragmented. Um, but yeah, so there's, Again, there's a lot of different narrators in this. Um, we do get a lot of stuff with his father and his mother as well, played by Cherry Jones. I always love when she shows up in something. She's great. Um, so there's there's familial stuff happening as well. There's a priest also at one point that's giving something like a sermon. And that's that scene is interesting. So he, he talks about suffering and he talks about... Um, I feel like I'm really putting this movie together right now as I'm talking about it, uh, but he talks about suffering and he, he, I think that does come before the Natalie Portman section, but perhaps ties directly in if, you know, if this is all kind of um, the timeline is muddled by memory, um, maybe he, and that's kind of how it happens. Sometimes you hear something, some piece of philosophical something, and then doesn't apply to your life until later on maybe that's the order there but uh, maybe it's going through suffering has caused him to be introspective and the suffering is the natalie portman relationship possibly but um the priest says it's it would it's a controversial idea and i can't i'm not sure that malik is necessarily endorsing this this view but that suffering is a good thing that we should thank god for our suffering um which is the kind of uh the kind of idea that uh, cause a lot of doubt in me as, you know, a religious young person. Um, but again, applies to this narrative in a way that I think makes sense. So anyway, there's that, there's a, there is a bit of a religious, um, 
directly religious thing because as we talked about there's a lot of faith things in all of malik's films but that uh does come in a bit a bit directly here is there any other aspects of this film that you want to bring in before we wrap things up i think we've been talking about the fragmented nature of this film in different ways both in the, the themes and the style and the editing and the cinematography and all of that. But I do think the choice of a filmmaker to intentionally make a chaotic film is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in film school, you're taught like a structure and a form and, um, you know, film maybe more than most art forms has a sort of expectation along with it um, mm-hmm. as far as like how the story's going to go and what it's going to look like and all of that. And, this one, it really feels like Malik just like really throws that all out. And yeah. um, I am not someone who loves chaos in my own life, but like seeing it up on screen is somehow like strangely mm, cathartic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like letting someone live through their chaos at arm's length and just sort of like let it swirl around them is a really interesting film experience. I like that. And that brings up something that uh, my therapist talked to me about once that really helped me understand just like why is challenging art something that I feel so drawn to sometimes. And I was specifically talking about horror movies at the time. And he talked about horror movies as a way to experience or, or deal with your fears with consent. It's like, okay, I know that I'm safe in this movie theater watching this thing. And this is dealing with some things and I can walk out if I need to, or if I'm at home, I can pause it if I need to, but it's still helping you get through those things. And I think like heavy metal music kind of does that for feelings of anger and um, maybe seeing chaos on the screen is, is a bit of a, an outlet for that, that I'm safe. I can pause this. Like this is not my real life, but I can, you know, kind of deal with those feelings in your own life. So I, I think that's a really good, um, call out with this film because yeah it is very chaotic i was thinking too about the locations that you were talking about because it does part of the chaos is just like jumping around and we get uh like physical landmarks that i didn't expect like we see uh in st louis we see the arch and then we see in las vegas there's like a section where he's at caesar's palace i think it is and there's like the little uh michael tower there and everything but yeah just having a sense of place other than like rural texas that i'm used to from him or yeah is, is interesting I was going to say, I really agree with that. And as an Angelino, a lot of the locations in Los Angeles are recognizable <laughs> mm, to me okay, and nice. not locations I usually see on screen when we're talking about Los Angeles. Nice. That's cool. It's not like sort of like the Hollywood that Hollywood mm. portrays, yeah, <laughs> sort yeah. of like the Los Angeles that people actually live in. Mm. And so that that's fun. Like it, it feels like cool. seeing your hometown in a different way. That's really cool. Wow. I didn't, I didn't obviously didn't have that experience of it, um, but yeah. And then just speaking about chaos too, like in the parties, there's a lot of scenes like in a party, there's, you know, all kinds of, yeah, chaos people in costumes at one point. There's, it almost feels like a Bergman-ish touch that we have like a character is death, like dressed as a skeleton fighting an angel or like, and it just, that's for a flash of like 30 seconds maybe. And then it goes on to something else or might probably much shorter than that, like six seconds. But then, um, yeah, just the chaos of those party scenes and the chaos of when he has, you know, women in his hotel room. And again, the camera's moving all over the place. It's like, uh, I never thought about seeing like a, a sex scene filmed by Emmanuel Lubezki. And like, I, I can never go back to any other kind of sex scene now. 
<laughs> I'm joking, but um, it is it, it is wild having that camera style in a scene like that, just because that's, that's the first time I've seen that as we're going through these Malik films. But maybe somewhat akin to the chaos is the moving camera, the moving timeline, all those different things um, is quite an experience watching this. Yeah. In, in some of those party scenes, it's kind of fun to like play spot the celebrity because yeah, it's just yeah. like moving so quickly and then you're like oh that's so-and-so oh that's so-and-so like <laughs> yeah. what are they doing at this party um yes which is, true. which is sort of like a funny feeling yeah because jason clark is there at one point uh I, I, we can look on imdb i'm sure but there's a bunch of people uh nick offerman is in the background at one spot um ryan o'neill apparently i'm just seeing that oh my gosh <laughs> i love ryan o'neill that's hilarious joe mangel uh Manginia. I can't pronounce his name. Manganiello, I think is how you say it. Anyway, yeah, that's really just one or two scenes, but there's all those like famous faces. Um, I forgot Frida Pinto's in this too. There's so many yeah, different. There's so like, many she's people. more of a major-ish yeah. character. Yeah. Um, Apparently there's lots of other characters that got left out of the film. Like they like way, way overshot this film and there's entire storylines that are just like left out of like with major yeah. actors. And that's wild too that i mean that sounds like a malik thing to overshoot and like that's something we've talked about as a, a bit of a uh trend with him and the other thing i was going to say is um i immediately thought at the beginning about uh so i did a series on one car why and there's a few shots that really reminded me of uh, actually his film fallen angels specifically there's like the shot in the tunnel where he's on the motorcycle in that film that's so great there's a few shots where a camera's going through a tunnel and it just immediately took me back there um, also in fallen angels, there's a scene where the apartment shakes cause it's close to a train station and that comes a, a situation like that happens too, but it's an earthquake, uh, which is actually an interesting scene too. seeing. And it's probably like an, an LA thing too, like earthquake. And then you walk outside and everyone's kind of milling about like what just happened and dogs randomly running everywhere and just sort of the chaos of that as well. Um, but the along with the tunnel shot there's a few shots that are like a pov of a car the front of a car on a road we get that a few times and then at the very end we get a tunnel shot and then a road shot as well and so i think mm. maybe the implication there is something like okay this is like the journey you got to keep going which there's some of those things as i verbalize it it sounds kind of cheesy and like and maybe that's the case for all of malik's movies this movie the tree of life is about it's about life, you know, <laughs> that sounds kind of cheesy, but when you see it, it works, you know? Um, but a couple other tree of life connections. I just remember too, at the end of tree of life, there's this sequence where he is surrounded, but he's like on this big kind of watery plane. And it seems like he's surrounded by all the people from his life. And, and I think it's a similar, like reflecting on life. Here's my mother. Here's my father. Here's me as a kid. Here's like all, that's such an interesting scene. And this movie kind of is doing a similar thing and we at the end we don't get that but we do get where it's cutting between different people um at the very end of this film um yeah so that's an interesting thing as well i didn't make I the long car why connection but now that you mentioned that i can definitely see the inspiration and but it once again like the urban setting and like such a different mm -hmm. way of like being in an urban setting it's a very long car why-esque yeah and maybe very much not intentional on his part but it just and part of it too is when I watched all the Wong Kar Wai movies, I joined a Wong Kar Wai meme group. So I just see those shots all the time on Facebook when I'm scrolling. So anytime I see a ton, I'm like, oh, it's Wong Kar Wai. But I think it does kind of connect a little bit there maybe. Um, well, cool. Well, I really enjoyed kind of wrestling through this film with you live on the podcast today. Thank you so much for, for joining us. 
once again, uh, I'm so excited for next time. We're going to look at A Hidden Life, which I believe was 2019. Um, and this, after this maybe slump in the critical uh, reviews, at least, this has seen a sort of return to form. This one, uh, I think, won some awards and things. And um, I'm curious to see if you know the, the visual, visual and audio the kind of style is the same. Uh, but I do know from what I understand, this has a, a bit more of a concrete story, at least than this film, which I think maybe most films in general have a more concrete story than this film, but it, uh, deals with the Holocaust is my understanding of it. So excited to get into that one. So that'll be for next time. Um, yeah. Any final thoughts before we wrap things up? No, looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much again. And, uh, yeah, that also be our, our final one. So we'll have to do a little reflecting back, uh, as we wrap that one up but all right we'll talk to you next time thank you so much huge thanks as always to bethany for being here once again i'm really excited to close out this marathon next time with a hidden life not that i'm excited to close it out but i'm excited to talk about that film and it's really been a great uh series with bethany that will be in two weeks but next week look for a special episode with film critic russell miller he is returning to the show to tell us all about the many exciting films he watched at the recent film fest 919 and we're going to look in depth at the new film empire of light so stay tuned for that. And with that, thank you, thank you for listening to Arthouse Garage. We've got a few years worth of episodes. You can hear all of those in your podcast app of choice. Our theme music is by composer Paul Hunefeld. Learn more at appallingproductions.com. If you want to support Arthouse Garage, become a patron over at patreon.com slash arthousegarage or find a link in the show notes. You can buy an Arthouse Garage t-shirt at arthousegarage.com slash shop. If you want to support us without spending any money, you can leave a rating or review in your podcast app, and that is hugely helpful. Stay in the loop about Arthouse Garage and the films we're covering by subscribing to our email newsletter at arthousegarage.com slash subscribe, or you can email me directly, Andrew, at arthousegarage.com. And of course, follow on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Just search at Arthouse Garage in all those places or find links in the show notes and that will do it for this episode thank you again so much for listening and until next time keep it snob free